I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, 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 and welcome, ladybirds and gentle lemurs, to the Human Nature Podcast. Here we explore the ups and downs of being Homo sapiens and learn a thing or two on how to be a better animal. My name is Elliot Connor, and I'm at least half elephant, but the star of the show today is none other than Ellen Windmuth, an executive producer and distributor with over 500 hours of produced film content. Welcome, Ellen. Hello, Elliot. Very nice to see you. So it's morning on your end, uh, just back from holidays, I hear, with the new year. And I'm sure all of our audience have had a great time, uh, ready to get back in the swing of things. Do you have any great plans for the year ahead, 2021? Yes, I have a number of great plans. First of all, of course, we had to delay some of our films in 2020, and then we switched to doing remote producing uh, in the second half of 2020. So we're doing a lot of very kind of nail-biting shoots right now in remote areas with remote crews, with directors, sometimes directing via an iPad. So that's interesting. We're making a film about economic biomimicry. So it's a film about circular economy, which is nothing other than economic biomimicry, which I'm super interested in. And we're making a film about the Pope's climate change encyclical, Laudato Si. So they're both very challenging films, um, and they're not as straightforward as the more traditional natural history films uh, that, that you know television and the big platforms usually want. Wow, sounds incredible. And of course, uh, you are the CEO of Off the Fence and, and now of the Water Bear uh, Network. Uh, so these two incredible uh, new companies acting in this uh, space of wildlife filmmaking. Do you see that this uh, industry, this uh, field of endeavour is changing much? It is, it is Elliot. It's changing very rapidly. I started Off the Fence in 1994. So business to business, Off the Fence is a well-known, well-established, quite high-quality documentary production and distribution company. And we've been working for many of the digital platforms and also, of course, for television. And our sales team sells to more than 3,000 buyers uh, of literally traditional documentary television slots. But what's happening at the moment is there is a sort of tidal wave of large digital platforms coming to the marketplace. 
And it's starting in America, but you know, through the proliferation of Amazon, Disney, and Netflix, we already have a big chunk of that happening in Europe, in Australia, in Asia. And I think that a lot of television executives and a lot of television producers are kind of hanging on to their hats going, whoa, some really significant changes are going to be happening this year and we better be future-proof. Agreed, no, very much so. And I think if 2020 has taught us anything is that uh, we do need to build in these uh, contingency plans. Uh, we need to be resilient and we need to be uh, looking ahead. We need to have that futurist outlook uh, to be able to keep ahead of the game. Yeah. There is going to be no clinging to the vine. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And Ellen, of course, uh, the animal you've chosen to speak about today is, of course, the octopus. And your most recent film, to which you were executive producer, was My Octopus Teacher, this incredible uh, production. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that and I guess why octopuses so fascinate you? Yes, I'd be happy to. I think that a good film is very often not a film you think about, but a film that happens to you. And the film My Octopus Teacher happened to me because the main protagonist or the protagonist in the film, Craig Foster, is a very dear friend of mine with whom I made a film probably, I think 20 years ago, I helped him make a film about tracking in the Kalahari with Bushman. And during that film, about tracking in the Kalahari, Craig learned two things. One, he learned that he was very unhappy about being separate from nature. And the other thing he learned was that tracking really helps you become part of where you are. And he learned from San Bushman how to track. So it, you know, 15 years later, whenever that is, I, you know, it was literally way later than that after a, stellar career as a cinematographer uh, and director, Craig found himself with adrenal fatigue. He'd just been in too many dangerous situations under too much pressure for too long, and he couldn't move anymore. And it's then that on one of my normal visits to him in Cape Town, he sort of said, I'm completely stuck. I can't move anymore. I'm feeling very ill. So all we friends could really do is sit with him while that was happening. But then we started witnessing his recovery. And his recovery is very much the way the film depicts, which was that I'd visit him again and he'd say, Ellen, it's really great. I, I actually just managed to pick up a camera. And then he said, I've learned that my nervous system recovers when I swim in very cold water, but I've got to do it every day. And it's growing back the brown fat cells that we used to have running up and down our spine as babies. So Craig and I saw that in the way he started to recover. He could, you know, literally speak elaborately again. He got very healthy. When I was shivering, wearing three jumpers, he would be out there barefoot in a T-shirt because he could thermoregulate so well. And he started to, you know apply his tracking skills and say, what if I started to just track underwater and I saw what is actually going on in this kelp forest? 
So all these things started to happen and he was filming. And then one day he said, I just met a baby octopus and it's unbelievable. It's changed my life. And so I experienced with him the time that he spent with the octopus and all the things that he and the octopus got up to, which made me incredibly fascinated, of course, not just with Craig's recovery as my friend, but also with this unbelievably clever, adaptable animal that is a mollusk and you just would not attach any kind of brain capacity to a mollusk but it's about as powerful as the brain of a four-year-old child but it's a very different brain wow that's such a great story and i think it really attests uh, to the power of filmmaking as a medium that you can capture that as you did with uh, the raw power yeah it was unbelievable and when you really think about what the story is about it's this love between two very unlikely friends, but it's an incredible bond that the two of them had. Incredible. Definitely. That really comes out. I do some animal rescuing here in Sydney. So I've just got in a white-headed pigeon, which has been named Atlas. We have a naming system for all the different animals we take in because there's so many and obviously you have to come up with names for them all to humanize them so pigeons are named after greek gods uh, mythological characters heroes atlas uh, got a concussion a few days ago he flew into someone's balcony window in the local neighborhood i got a call out on the rescue system and he's been wandering around the house through the garden for several days relearning how to fly Uh, but I really do get that uh, bond that sense of connection with every one of these animals Uh, so I really connect uh, with Craig's story uh, with my octopus teacher and just how intelligent these animals can be Uh, I mean if you take octopuses as an example uh, there are (laughs) countless stories of octopuses in captivity disassembling tank valves and spilling the contents of the tanks they were in all over the floor. Or there was one, I believe, which learned to escape from its tank overnight and would go out into one of the neighboring fish tanks and have a midnight snack and then return for the morning before the keeper arrived. They are, they are truly incredible animals. So, yeah, I think it's a wonderful film and how you managed to capture that journey. It was so, so powerful. Thank you. Thank you. I think after you've made many, many films kind of to order, right? You have to make films that get ratings and get advertising revenues and they have to fit into a certain time clock with a certain amount of acts. It's a completely different way to work when a film happens to you. And that's why I'm actually super happy about where media is going because without Netflix, I don't think we could have made this film because Netflix doesn't have a clock with ads and Netflix doesn't have a sort of down pat formula on this is the way our viewers like to watch films and this is the way our viewers need you to tell the story. They just tell you to tell the best story you can. And the best story you can is the story that is the most authentic, the story that you're most connected with. And in my case, the story that happened to my friend. Yeah, it's an incredible story. There's no doubt about that. And as you say, so great that you could tell it 
It's a testament to how much the field has diversified, has changed just in recent years. You say it's uh, this best story, I think was your words, that you've uh, been able to tell because it's so authentic. And for me, I guess that experience came at the start of last year now, at the start of 2020, when I was able to go out on safari, do some uh, filming myself, filming those live safaris for six hours a day. And it was on Christmas Eve that I arrived. So that would have been 2019. But when I arrived in the camp, it was quite late at night and the staff had decided to go out uh, on an evening game drive. Uh, so I was on the tracker seat, uh, like a padded seat strapped to the bonnet of the car. And I managed to find a lioness uh, stalking through the savannah. These are very experienced field guides in the business for decades. And they knew there was a herd of impala several hundred meters on. So they put two and two together, worked out what was happening and drove up to this herd, turned off the engines, turned off all the lights. And we just waited in the dark for uh, two very long minutes uh, with the crickets chirping in the background. And then there was the sound of these hooves running through the hard-packed earth and then this breaking of one of the uh, impala ram's necks uh, because this pride of lions had made the kill about five meters from the vehicle. So that was so raw, so authentic, so powerful. But again, one of those uh, types of experiences for me. So I was going to ask you, uh, what is, if you can choose one of those moments uh, you've had in your uh, long career, uh, where you have just had that sense of awe? I've had it so many times with so many animals. I remember being in the bush and I was walking by myself and it was somewhere in Tanzania, I think. And I was just looking around and as there was a tree and there was this, there was that. All of a sudden, I get the sense of someone's looking at me and I look up and there's this giraffe peering right down at me. And I just looked that giraffe in the eyes and it was such an incredible feeling. It was so kind. So whenever I've been out in the wild, and I, I love being in the African bush, maybe more than anywhere, I love being in any kind of wilderness, but Africa is very special because there are so many wild animals around. But the, the experience whenever I have contact with a giraffe or a baboon or a lion, it's always this wild kindness and that's not a projection that's you know you, it's not just in the eyes it's really and it's not silly and it's not anthropomorphic it's in their body language as well as in the way they meet your eyes there's no animosity there and there's no fear you know there's a non-judging wild kindness and i i wish there was more of that you know among human beings very often, and the older I get, the, the more I think about that. <laughs> you're not there yet, but wait till you're around my age. <laughs> wait a few decades, <laughs> we'll see. No, but I really get uh, that sentiment, uh, just looking into another animal's eyes. Uh, it can be so, so moving an experience, really. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I was stalked by a leopard in Botswana. Uh, so cutting a, a long story short, 
I was walking back from the campsite toilet block and just reached the edge of the fire circle. I had this almost sixth sense and turned around and there was young leopard uh, crouched stalking uh, maybe two, three metres behind me. So I, I had uh, that eye contact for uh, some very long seconds and uh, it's an ambush predator. So it had been seen. I was in relatively little risk by that point, but I can still remember that moment as clearly as the day it happened. And uh, you're right, it does touch something deep inside. It's, it's something very powerful. It does. That's a big moment. That's something you'll never forget. I mean, those are things that really um, mark your mind. And it's very different from what most people do in their daily lives, which is especially now, just having digital experience after digital experience, taking their mind off things by, you know, endless drivel on Facebook or endless nonsense on wherever, whatever you're consuming. Yeah. And I think, especially with the year gone by with 2020, it's been very hard for people stuck at home. Uh, we've seen uh, mental health issues on the rise. Uh, we've seen people who are feeling isolated, who don't have that chance to get out in the great outdoors to travel, as I've been lucky to do. I wanted to ask you as well, uh, given how much we have been stuck at home in lockdown, uh, do you have any pets at home? Do you have some animals alongside you in that daily routine? I do. I, I have three children. So my children have been with me and they're probably my greatest friends. And watching them go through the frustrations of young people in lockdown. You know, my youngest son is 18 and he's had to come home from what was going to be his first year at uni, you know, studying economics. And it's really sad. It's very challenging for, for kids that we're ready to go and embrace life and be grown-ups and be men and women and do all these things. And they end up at their parents' house. But you're right to say that, you know, my animals have been my greatest supporters during lockdown. I have four cats and two dogs. And one of my two dogs I have in the office with me whenever I go into the office. And she's my very best friend. Her name's Mia and she comes everywhere with me. And it's hugely comforting to have a close relationship with an animal in your home. And I have six, but all six relationships are different. But probably the closest is the one with Mia because Mia's getting older. She's nine now. And she's developed a disease on her retina where she's slowly losing her eyesight. So the more of her eyesight she loses, the closer she comes to me. So instead of watching Mia suffer because of her growing disability, I'm watching Mia adapt. I'm watching Mia simply become more affectionate, want to walk closer to my leg. And it's a big lesson in that what to us may be a horrible strike against us is in her world simply, I'm just going to change the way I behave. That's why I, I like my octopus teacher and I wanted to call the film my octopus teacher because I think we, we can learn so much from animals. It's such a joy to learn so much from animals um, and to learn so much from nature. Yeah, and I'm so sorry to hear that about Mia as well. But when you do have a bond, a connection like that, it's terrible. Uh, to see an animal like that suffer, uh, really, really heartbreaking. You just reminded me, actually, 
with that story about Mia of octopuses themselves, because I was reading an article recently, which was talking about how octopuses are losing their eyesight because of ocean acidification, because they're not able to get enough oxygen into their bloodstream any longer, which means their eyesight is fading, just like Mia's is. But octopuses themselves are adapting. They're, as we say, incredible creatures just off the coast of Australia, Sydney side where I am. We have, of course, these gatherings of octopuses, Octopolis and Oclantis, as they're creatively known. One of them, I forget which, is built around uh, some man-made uh, structure, a piece of metal. So they've just added to that with their clamshells uh, gathered together in the dozens. So uh, they've developed this, uh, this apartment space in which to uh, be able to better defend themselves uh, from potential predators and uh, to be able to fend away competition uh, in that manner as well. So they are such complex animals and I think we're just getting to scratch the surface of that with some of the things that have come to light in recent years so I mean that's one of the reasons why my octopus teacher was such an amazing film. Well the octopus is an animal that has to live as predator and as prey. The animal lives in between the two worlds and therefore has to be incredibly quick in adapting to whatever comes up at the time And it's true on top of everything, and you rightly point this out, the general situation around the oceans, you know, everything that's happening in Australia around Adani, for instance, and everything that's happening in other parts of the world with other multinationals that are doing ridiculous things to the oceans, like deep ocean mining and, you know, unbelievable, stupid ideas that are somehow permitted by governments that don't seem to have the bandwidth to understand what they're doing. Those things really led me to want to start the Water Bear Network. So that's where we're creating or we have created a place for especially young people to go. And if you're interested in animals or if you're interested in coral reefs or if you're interested in deforestation, you can basically just find films, short films or long films, and very soon even feature documentaries on the subject. And you can not only watch, but you can engage and get involved with the 80 odd NGOs that we've already partnered with. We're going to be partnering with several hundred NGOs, not just on biodiversity and climate change, but we're going to be working with NGOs that are preoccupied with issues around all 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. So it's an entertainment platform, but it's a very educational, very interactive platform. So it's not like anything that already exists. It's not meant to be, nor will it ever be competition to any of the general entertainment platforms. It is its own animal. It's its own world. And it's really my wish to share my world with as many people as possible. So you can actually download Waterberry from the App Store or from Google, or you can go on the website and sign up for free and become part of it. So that's really um, where I've put my concern about your world in the future. And I hope that everybody will enjoy it.
I'm sure they will. And uh, the last episode of the Human Nature Cast was talking about water bears, how incredibly resilient they are. Uh, so I- I'm sure uh, the network will embody that spirit as well. It sounds amazing, uh, some of the work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, calling it water bear really does mean that we believe in the resilience of nature and we believe in the resilience of also humans. We think that, you know, we're clever enough, we're smart enough, we're resilient enough. Um, and, And I think that we as humans need to be clever enough to stand back and let nature heal itself because it can heal incredibly quickly. And that's really what Water Bear stands for. That's the line of thought we have and we like to make short films about inspiring phenomena we like to make short films and long films about people doing amazing things in the field and we have endless access to fantastic stories through the participating ngos and through our impact filmmaking community yeah and i think it's something that isn't quite appreciated or recognized enough these stories of the people working behind conservation, this optimism, this inspiration we can get uh, from those stories. Uh, just in the underwater world, uh, coral reefs are the big uh, looming threat, uh, big issue. But some of the momentum that's been mobilized uh, to try and conserve them is amazing. The innovations that have come out of it. I know in the Great Barrier Reef, there are tour boats that just glue on uh, reef fragments uh, that have been cultivated in in labs whenever they go out on tours and uh, they're able to use micro fragmentation to make sure it grows I think it's 25 times faster really really impressive stuff and now engineering super corals uh, hopefully fingers crossed to be able to survive uh, some of uh, what's to come so there are such incredible stories of hope and it's been Amazing hearing about my octopus teacher as just one of those, uh, but I'm sure many will arise in the years to come. Wonderful. Ellen, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you today. I'm sure our audience will agree. And yeah, I'm sure they'll all be behind you as well as you set up Water Bear at this new network and continue uh, with your documentary work. It's so inspirational and some of the stories you've been able to share with us. So we Wish you all the best of luck with that uh, moving forward. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to be on your podcast. And remember that you're part of the generation of new filmmakers that are going to make Water Bear successful. (laughs) I certainly hope so, Ellen. I certainly hope we can save the world uh, together in whatever way uh, that comes about. Uh, But for our listeners, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Human Nature Cast. Until then, stay safe and do try and be a better animal. Thank you all and goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.